It's a joy to welcome in not only those who are gathered in the room, but those who are now joining us live on the web. It's good to have you be a part of worship with us today as we are in the midst of a series uh, talking about God-centered living, learning to move way beyond just having God as a slice of your life, church being a part of your life, to getting to a place of God being the center of every part of your life and of every day. I was just thinking about that last song uh, that we sang, and, and what a, a powerful thought, and uh, really just intimate times of worship like this, how it, it can be so profound, and yet there can be a real disconnect a lot of times for us. The songs that sing about intimacy, I mean, that we just sang about, won't you romance me, O lover of my soul? And I think if we could be completely honest, a lot of people would have to say, my heart and head don't really fully get that. Because we have, we've come to know God and we've heard about God in a context where it's all about us and our response to Him. It's all about our need to turn to Him as if it's about us pursuing Him when the reality of the matter is that it has always been about Him pursuing us. And so many times I think maybe because in the church we've done a poor job of really clearly communicating what this relationship looks like. That we've felt like we're just this huge disappointment to God and that when God looks at us, He just is so frustrated and He takes us in, but it's like stepchildren that He really just hates to have to put up with. When the truth of the matter is that even through long seasons of your life, when you didn't feel the nearness of God, you didn't know the voice of God, where it just seemed that God was such a foreign, a very distant concept, that the reality of the matter was that God was deeply loving you, that He was pursuing you, and that in very real ways that maybe you didn't recognize at all at the time, He was truly romancing you. He was, and maybe that, that feels or sounds kind of weird to you, but, but He was doing everything that He could to pull you in to a place that you could receive His love and actually experience that. And today what we're going to talk about really gets at the heart of, of, of part of what's difficult about this. As I stood there worshiping and holding Reagan and rock, rocking along as we're singing, and there was just a, a profound reality that set in for me doing that. It's been 20 years since I've had the privilege of, of doing that in worship. And uh, realizing as we're singing about the goodness of God and the holiness of God and how a six-week-old has no concept of that. She has, she has no idea what's going on and yet she's in this loving environment where she can't understand one word of what's being said. She cannot, in her mind, grasp one word of what's being said and yet there is this wonderful love affair that's taking place of God moving in, invading the place where his people are and and just thinking about how, you know, given a little bit of time, she's going to learn the language and she's going to learn to understand what's taking place. And God was just speaking to my heart as we were worshiping and reminding me as it relates to what we'll talk about today, that this is this is what I've been doing with you through seasons of your life that you did not comprehend the words. Seasons when sometimes you... You didn't even recognize my presence. I just held you really close. It may sound like a really foreign concept, but it's truth that sometimes when you don't, you don't understand the voice of the Lord, when you don't, you don't understand His work, I truly believe that in a real way, in the darkest seasons when, when you don't understand what's going on, and you think God's far off, that in those seasons, He holds you really close. And in a real sense, He sings over you. When you don't understand the words, your heart 
can just follow the tune. Just to feel the nearness of God. And you may think, what, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, this is the heart of what we're going to talk about today. That God, because He loves us so much and pursues us, He has at the heart of all things a burning desire for a relationship. And for some, the idea of a relationship with God seems weird. It's like, you know, I know we pray this prayer. I know we, we come to accept that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that sets the record straight. That pays the price for our sin. But how do you have a relationship with a God who is so other, who is so different? I mean, to have a relationship, don't you have to have dialogue? Don't you have to have personal exchanges and real personal contact? And for most people that I talk with, there's no sense of that. And, and there, there becomes for many this feeling of hurt and of resentment. Like, you know, what kind of game is God playing? I mean, if He really loves me, why doesn't He talk to me? Why doesn't He draw near me? And the truth of the matter is, He is so near us. He is holding us so close. And He is speaking to us. But we are like an infant in His arms. An infant who has not yet learned the language many times. And that's what we want to talk about today is learning to understand when God speaks because He does love you. He is pursuing a relationship that is real, that is personal, that, that really does involve meaningful two-way conversation. And He wants you to understand what He's saying to you because He really wants to live in this dynamic, interactive relationship. I'll back up for just a minute and remind you of what we talked about last week because what we're going to... Last week we talked about removing the barriers to hearing God speak. And today we're going to talk about how God speaks to us. And I want to remind you, in case you weren't here, of just this real basic fundamental concept about who we are. Because you can't really understand how we hear from God unless you grasp the, the basic idea that, that each of us, we are a living soul with mind, will, and emotions. And that this is a soul that inhabits a body but that also possesses a spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. That trichotomy makes up who and what we are. It's a reflection of the triune God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God who is three persons. You are a soul, mind, will, and emotions that live in a body but that possesses a spirit that gives you the ability to interact with the supernatural, with the spiritual realm. The problem for us in understanding when God speaks to us, it really boils down to this. It's not complicated to understand. And I, I'm praying, I'm really praying that today for some, the light's going to come on and you're going to begin to recognize what God is saying to you. Is the conscious part of who I am is my soul, my ability to think, to feel, and to make choices. And that soul inhabits a body which, for me, becomes the primary lens through which I experience all communication. And that comes really in two forms. What I can see and what I can hear. It's this simple. If you want to communicate with me, you're going to have to do it essentially one of two ways. You can talk to me so that I can hear it with my ears, or you're going to have to write something so that I can read it with my eyes, right? I mean, it boils down to that. I know you can make gestures or whatever, but I still have to take it in one of two, those two ways. I either have to see it with my eyes, see what you've written, texted, emailed, or gestured to me. I have to see it or I have to hear it audibly, what you're saying to me. And apart from those two things, I don't know how you can communicate with me, right? I mean, that, that's how we think in terms of communication. That's how my mind, my soul takes in new information and anything that you want to give to me. And so that's all we've ever known. And then we come into a relationship with Christ and we hear God wants to speak to us. And we're like, okay, great. Send me a message that I can see. Speak a word so that I can hear. And we, we fail to understand on the front end that God is spirit. Jesus said this. God is spirit and those who come to Him, must learn to worship Him in spirit. This is to connect with Him in spirit and truth. And we're over here going, well, God, if you're wanting to speak to me, say something so I can hear it. Or if you want to write me out a message, write it in the sky. I'll go lay on the ground and just look up in the clouds and you write it so that I can see it. And God is going, oh, no, no, there's something so much better, so much bigger. I can speak so that your mind understands it. But guess what? I am not bound by using your ears and your eyes. And in fact, that's not the method that I'm going to use. I made you a spiritual being and I will speak to you in a more personal and deeper way than that. 
Paul is speaking of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. He's talking about the exact concept that I'm describing right now. We listen and we watch with our eyes and our ears. And he, he's saying, you know what? You can keep your eyes peeled 24 hours a day. You can keep your ears open all the time. And if that's all that you've got to listen with and to look with, you'll completely miss what God is saying. In fact, in your wildest imagination, in your mind, you can't dream up what it is that God is doing. This thing that Jesus talked about when he said, every day I just do what I see my father doing because I can't do anything on my own. I just do what I see my father doing. He wasn't figuring that out just with a creative mind and he wasn't just listening with his ears and with his eyes. It was being revealed to him by the Spirit of God. Everything that God is saying to you is revealed to you. By the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us by His Spirit. But He does it a bunch of different ways. And here's the tricky part. He's going to use a combination of ways that are going to be unique to you. So the challenge for me in teaching today is that I can't give you a simple recipe and say, Amanda, it's always going to be A, B, and C, and this is how you'll know what God is saying. Nails for you. This is what it's going to look like. It's going to be different for everyone. But we can talk in these terms. There are... To my understanding, there are essentially seven ways that we can talk about that God will speak to his people. Number seven is going to be a doozy, so it's really kind of six plus one. We'll understand in just a moment. I want to just take the next little bit of time and, and talk with you through the seven different ways that God speaks, realizing God's going to kind of mix these things together in unique ways in your life. And hopefully we'll come through this understanding better. Wow, God has been speaking. God is speaking. I've got to learn to tune in with something more than just my eyes and my ears because he's speaking to my spirit at the deepest level using these different things. Now, the first of the seven ways that God speaks to us, the first two are not the surprising ones. First of all, we can say God speaks by personalizing the written words of Scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. Now, that's an interesting thought because you would think these are dead words on a page, wouldn't you? I mean, it's a book. In fact, it's 66 books stuck between a piece of leather. And yet, the writer of Hebrews says, no, it's not just a book. It's living, and it's active, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to, get this, to the dividing of soul and spirit. The dividing of soul and spirit. How does it do that, and what does that mean? That's very important. We'll come back to it. It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God pierces us and separates two of the three fundamental parts of who and what we are. It separates my soul from my spirit. Why would it need to do that? I'll tell you exactly why. Because as you begin to, to seek to understand and discern the voice of the Lord and what He's saying, you will frequently run into this dilemma. Many of you have been here and know what this feels like. Something will be on your mind and you will have this one fundamental question about it. Was that me or was that God? Did I just think that up? Is that just something that I'm hoping for or that I want? Was that my soul? Was that my own mind? Was that my own feelings and my own will saying, I sure do want this. Maybe it's from God, but it might be from me. I'm not really sure. Or was that in my spirit that I heard that? Which one was this? Because God speaks in my spirit. Which was it? Spirit or soul? The Word of God pierces to the division of soul and spirit. The whole point being, the Word of God is oftentimes the thing that God will use to help you recognize, oh, yikes, that was soul. That was me. It says it is a discerner of the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What does he mean by that? It's not complicated. He's just saying there are a bunch of times that the Spirit of God is going to take the written Word of God. He's going to make you remember in a moment of time a truth where you go, Oh, I just recognized that was me. That wasn't God. That idea that I had that I was trying to run with where I was justifying this relationship and saying this relationship is a good idea. I mean, surely only God can make me this happy. And then I read what the word of God said about some stuff that's happening in this relationship. And I started going, oh, maybe that was my soul talking. Maybe that was 
The Word becomes in that moment a discerner of the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You know, I think maybe that is God telling me to go out and buy this brand new Jaguar or whatever. You know, God would be honored by me having a luxury car. That would make me so very happy. And surely God wants me to make me happy. I mean, it's what Joel says all the time. God's all about me being happy, happy, happy. And then I read the Word of God and it becomes a discerner. That shows me, oh, that's that's my soul. That's not the spirit of God speaking. Jesus said in John 14 and 16 on the night that he's betrayed, as he's spelling out what's about to happen when the Holy Spirit comes, he says, when the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name comes, he will teach you all things and will remind you. Everybody say remind you. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will remind you of everything that I said to you. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He says, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A large part of it he is the spirit of truth. And as you go along, what he's going to do is in a moment of time when you're encountering a situation or you're, you're wrestling with an idea, this Holy Spirit is going to call to your remembrance my teaching. And in that moment, that teaching that may have seemed general, that applied in a different situation, the Holy Spirit is going to go, hey, you remember when Jesus said, well, bam, this is what he was talking about. This is where it applies in your life. And this general truth suddenly becomes a major personal revelation that speaks to that situation. What we're talking about here is in the New Testament, in the language of the New Testament in Greek, there are two different words for the word of God. They are logos and rhema. Lagos is general revelation. This is just truth that, you know, everybody's heard it. These are stories and concepts that, oh, yeah, I've heard that in church before. I know that it's just the general revelation of God. That's nice stuff. That's good stuff. We ought to know about God or about his word. That was a nice Bible story or whatever. It's general revelation. What the spirit of God does is he takes the general revelation, the Lagos, and in a moment of time, he goes Right now, Brittany, in your life, I was talking about that when I showed you this. Logos becomes rhema, suddenly a very personal, applicable word. This isn't a general revelation. This is God saying, Tony, I'm talking to you today, brother. Do you remember when you read this three weeks ago? Do you remember six months ago in church when you heard this truth? Well, today I'm telling you that was about you. General revelation becoming personal revelation. The spirit of truth will remind you of what I said. And in that moment of remembrance, guess what's happening? God is speaking. That's the voice of the Lord. Now, the way that this happens so much of the time, it's really nice when in your quiet time each day and you're reading the word of God and it just comes alive. And the spirit of God, as you read it, goes, Wait, this is truth for you today. And suddenly a passage you've read 30 times before comes alive as it never has before. How many of you ever had that experience? You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's a cool thing, isn't it, when it happens? Do you want to know what happens more frequently than that, though? Each day, as you feed on the Word of God, and your mind gets filled more and more and more with the Word of God, the truths of God, the stories in God's Word, as time passes and you encounter the different circumstances of life, you run into different needs and different places where, where you need wisdom, in those moments, the Holy Spirit will reach back into your memory all this, this truckload, tons and tons of truth that have been stored away through spending time in the Word every day, staying under the teaching of God every week, of the Word of God, He will reach back into that, and in that moment of need, He'll remind you of a truth. Lagos becomes rhema. General revelation becomes a very specific revelation. And in that moment, when you remember the Word of God, and suddenly it's like, wow, that really does apply in this situation. That story really speaks to this. That was God speaking to you in a personal way by His Spirit using His Word. You ever experienced that? It's happened a bunch of times in my life. A defining time when he did that in my life. That weird little teaching in Luke 5, it shows up in a couple of other Gospels too, where Jesus said, you don't pour new wine in an old wineskin, because if you do, the old wineskin can't stretch. And when the wine ferments and expands, it will split the, the wineskin, and the wine will be poured out, and the, the wineskin will be destroyed, and the wine will be lost. And oh, by the way, People who have had the old wine always think that it's better. And then he moves on to another subject. Well, I had read that a bunch of times in my life and thought, okay, thank you, Jesus, for a message on wine. That didn't do much for me. I'd read it dozens of times. 
15 years ago, I was praying and fasting over an extended period of time, really seeking the Lord for his direction because I was feeling this call towards church planting and really didn't want to miss the Lord in that. And God kept bringing me back to this passage. And I'm like, God, I don't drink wine and I don't have any wine skins. You know, what's this about? And he took that simple old little analogy and redefined the direction of my life and ministry through that passage. He showed me when I talk about pouring out new wine or new oil, it is always a consistent picture in Scripture of pouring out a new work of the Holy Spirit. The wineskin is the container for that work, what it's going to be poured into. Now, at the time when God spoke this into my life, I was at First Baptist Church of Fairhope, where a church split had taken place and the church was in a search for a new pastor. And guess what? As the student pastor who had often preached there, there were a bunch of people who started coming to me and saying, hey, we think you need to be our next pastor. Some of them were on the pastor search committee. Some of them were shakers and movers in the church. And I'm 31 years old and thinking, hey, this would be pretty cool. I'd take a promotion from youth pastor to senior pastor, First Baptist Church. I could, I could like that. That'd be a serious raise. That would be a serious change in venue here for me. I could get excited about that. And in the middle of that, God goes, you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin because if you do, the skin will split, the wine will be lost. And oh, by the way, people who are used to drinking old wine never like the new. Oh, when he personalized that for me, here's what he said. If you took over as the pastor of this church that I love, I'm doing a new wine work in you. I'm doing a new wine work in this community. And if you try and force that into an old wine skin, you're going to split that sucker right down the middle. The wine and the work will be lost. The church will be damaged. And you need to understand along the way, people who are used to old wine don't ever decide they like new wine anyway. They're stuck on old wine. Let them have it. You're going to have to put new wine in a new wine skin which now starts making me really nervous. And it's like, yeah, God, but I don't have any new wineskins. And he's like, that's the point. I've called you to be a new wineskin pastor. You've got to go out and be a church planter. I'm going to work through you to continue this process of creating a bunch of new wineskin churches to receive the new work that I'm doing. So stop trying to figure out ways to force my work into an old wineskin. Little bitty truth. Little bitty Lagos became great big Rama that redefined the direction of my life and my, my sense of call to ministry. That's God speaking. Just a little passage. The second thing, God speaks directly to us in times of prayer. That's no big surprise or revelation that he does that. Tons of, of passages that illustrate that. Uh, Acts 10 is kind of a humorous one in, in one little place. Peter is praying. And he's hungry when he's praying. You ever have that happen? You're praying and suddenly you're thinking about what you're feeling. Man, I could use a Snickers right now. Something's, you know, my belly button's rubbing a blister on my backbone kind of thing. You know, when you're praying, suddenly you're sleepy, you're cold, you're hungry, you're whatever. Peter's praying and he's hungry. And as he's hungry, he starts thinking about food and then a vision pops into his head. And it's a vision of a sheet being let down and... This whole picture of three different times God lowers down this sheet with all these animals that you could eat except it's all the animals that Peter thinks are forbidden. The law says I can't have them. And Peter's like, well, that's not doing me any good. Three times God shows that to him. And each time God says, Peter, don't you call anything unclean that I made clean. So if you're hungry, stop declaring half of what I made unclean. But in this, God's about to reveal to him something much bigger because Peter doesn't just think certain animals are unclean. Peter thinks all non-Jewish people are unclean. And he is about to, in just a few minutes, blow that up in his life. But it happens in the context of prayer as he's wrestling with the fact that he's hungry. God loves to show up when we pray and just insert things in our thoughts. It's actually him speaking. When you're praying and an idea pops in your head, be very suspicious in a good way that God might be speaking. That you might not have thought of that idea. That God may be the one who gave you that thought in Acts 13, we have a, this cool picture of the church in Antioch praying together. And as they prayed, fasted and worshiped, God spoke during their time of prayer and said, two of these folks right here in your midst, 
that guy Paul and this guy over here Barnabas, set them apart and send them out. They've never been on a missionary trip. You need to send them out. What's a missionary, by the way? I mean, that's, that's a whole new concept. Well, you need to send them out as missionaries. This is the beginning of the work that God would do through Paul, which brings the gospel to the Western world. It came in the context of, of praying and God speaking. I, when I came to Fairhope, it, it came in the midst of a prayer time where I wasn't asking God for direction about where to go. I was happily serving in Tuscaloosa. And a friend had called and said, hey, we're looking for a student pastor at, at First Baptist Church in Fairhope. And we were longtime friends. And he called me up and said, do you know any guys that you could put us in contact with that we could get their resumes and talk with them? And I said, no, I'll, I'll be glad to pray with you about that and see if I come up with any names and I'll call you back. And I'm sitting in the corner of my office at Calvary Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa praying this thing through. And, you know, it's, that's on my prayer list now. God, you know, Mike and his church in Fairhope. And I just I know they're, they've been looking for months and can't find anybody. If there's anybody that I know that you might want to use there, would you just speak to me and show me that? And this idea pops in my head out of nowhere. Send them your resume. And I'm like, well, I must have just thought that up because that's a crazy idea. I mean, they didn't ask for my resume. And I don't even know where Fairhope is. And I don't want to leave where I am. I like where I am. And I can't get that out of my head. Send them your resume. And I'm like, I'm literally going, God, I don't know where Fairhope even is. And they're not asking for it. I, I finally, I can't keep praying. I have to get up and go get an atlas out and find where Fairhope is on the map. Had to call him back and say, I'm not sure, but I think it may have been God telling me in my prayer time today to send you my resume. Well, long story short, I live in Fairhope now because of that encounter. I wasn't asking for that. But as I prayed for one thing in prayer, oh, look out for this. God will do it to you a lot. When you're praying and you just have a heart that's listening, God just shows up and goes, yeah, I know this isn't exactly what you were asking, but here's what I want to tell you about that. When an idea pops in your head when you're praying... You start searching that thing out. God loves to speak when you pray. Thirdly, God speaks through angels, dreams, and visions. Now, for some, this is going to be the part that feels a little bit squirrely. Like, oh, angels, dreams, and visions. I don't know about that. In the Scriptures, He does it frequently. In the 21st century, He does this frequently. In Acts chapter 8, you get this great... Great little story about Philip, who was one of the early leaders of the church, and he had just been used by God significantly in one place. And then an angel of the Lord shows up, and all, this is all he says. Go to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Yes, that's the same Gaza where Hamas is fighting against the Israeli defense force. It's, it's still very much the center of what's happening in the world. But that's all the Holy Spirit says to him through, through an angel, that he just says, Go down to that road. You know, the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, the desert road. Go there. Now, here's what I love about that, because I can so relate to that. When God speaks to me, He does it like this so many times. He doesn't tell Him where on the road to go. He doesn't tell Him what to do when He gets there. He just says, go down to that road. At this point, if I'm Philip, I'm kind of like, God, in case you forgot the road you just said to go to is the desert road. That's because it's in the desert. There aren't many people or restaurants or gas stations out there. It's just the desert. You want to tell me what I'm going to do in the desert? Nope, not so much right now. I want you to go to the road. That's all the angel told him. I can't tell you how many times in my life when God has spoken, that's what he would do. That's all the instruction that he would give. And I'm like, I know that was you speaking. Could you speak some more? Nope, not until you do the part that I've said. When you go the next step, when you do what I've told you to do, then the next part of what I have to say is going to come. Philip goes down there, and in just a minute, when we move to another point, you're going to see what happened when he got there. But he spoke through an angel to do that. Now, in the, uh, in the story that I just referenced about Peter, the, the other half of the story that's going to all come back together is God speaks to a commander, he's a centurion in the Italian regiment. He is a Gentile, but he's a God-fearing Gentile. And God loves him and wants him to be saved and is pursuing him. And he speaks to, to him uh, in a vision. Actually, I believe it's through an angel in, in that instance that he speaks to Cornelius and tells him what to do. And he's actually going to link up Peter and Cornelius, though they aren't even in the same town. And they've never met before, but God speaks like that um, in Acts chapter... 16, where Paul 
He's now been sent out by the church, and he's on this missionary journey, and every day is a new adventure in, okay, where are we going to go next? What, the whole world needs the gospel. How do you decide where to go? And so he's keeping the gospel centered around the uh, eastern part of the Mediterranean and still kind of in the, the Arab part of the world. But in Acts 16, it says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And you may read that and say, well, Why is that even significant? I'll tell you why it's significant. Because the gospel had never gone to Europe yet. And Paul had no intention of taking it there. And this call to Macedonia is a call over to Greece into southern Europe. You're starting to figure out why this matters for us. China is not yet Christian. Most of Asia is not yet Christian. Europe and North America are Christian because the gospel went west. Paul heard a man from Macedonia calling to him in this dream saying, come help us. And after Paul had seen this vision, Luke says, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God frequently speaks through angels, dreams, and visions. Now, I'll just tell you in my own experience, because it's different for everyone. I am not aware of having had a visitation from an angel. It doesn't mean that it's never happened, but I'm not aware of that. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, many of you have entertained angels unaware, so it may be interesting to get to heaven and find out there were different times that God spoke to me or interacted with me in the form of an angel, but I'm not aware of those. God speaks through dreams and visions. It's prophesied that He would do this with the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know, Part of what's promised is that now... Young men and old men and women will dream dreams and will, will see visions. Now, I want to just say a word of clarification about this. Dreams are not magical. And there's nothing particularly unique about dreams because we live in a time when there, there is a movement, and I don't know why, ladies don't take this wrong, it, it, this is simply a fact. There's a women's movement that has been afoot for about 10 or 15 years in the States among Christian women that is just, they are dream seekers. They are chasing after dreams. And if you, I mean, they will tell you just straight up, if you're not having dreams from God, you need to start praying for, for God to speak to you through dreams. And let me just say, if God speaks to you through dreams, that is awesome. And if He doesn't, don't worry about it. Because it doesn't matter how God speaks to you. This whole thing of, you know, we've got to, you need to be dreaming prophetic dreams. And if you're not dreaming these dreams, then, then you should be. And you need to ask God to give you that. That is sort of the equivalent of, you know, imagine what celebrity or singer or whatever that you would love to actually have a conversation with for one time in your life. And you find out that person, whether it's the, the president or some movie star or whatever, they're going to call you and have a personal conversation with you. Can you imagine saying in response to that, well, look, I'm glad I get to talk to them. But I just want you to understand, I'm an iPhone person, so if they're going to call me, I want them to call on an iPhone. I don't want them to use any Galaxy or any other crazy phone. I want them to use an iPhone because that's how I like to talk to people is with an iPhone. Friends, to say to God, I'm not having prophetic dreams. So God, I want you speaking to me through dreams. When I lay down at night, I want you talking to me in my dreams. I don't care how God speaks to me. I don't care if he uses an iPhone. I don't care if he uses dreams. I don't care if he uses angels. I don't care if he uses his word or my prayer time or, you know, writing something in the sky. What matters is that God speaks. And God speaks to some people through their dreams. One of the things, if you can tell I have a bee in my bonnet, it's only because I do. Because I have had so many people over the years come up to me. Some people who are just dream seekers. And it's like they have to tell me all of their dreams and most of it, quite honestly, every single time, I'll take it back before the Lord. And essentially what I have found in most cases is that it was just hooey. They were, they were just dreaming dreams that were not a word for the church. And a lot of them are some pretty weird stuff. But I've heard from so many people who it's like every time they dream, they know that it's God speaking to them. To which I just want to say, time out. Dreams are not magical. Dreams are your same brain thinking at night. It's not the conscious part of your brain. It's the unconscious part of your brain. For some people, God loves to speak into that. He does it a bunch in the Scripture. He still does it today. But don't treat it like it's something that's above everything else, that that's what we need to seek. God will speak in dreams. And if He is speaking in a dream, He'll let you understand what that is. Part of what He'll do sometimes is bring somebody in your life who can interpret that if it needs interpretation. God will speak through angels. He'll speak through dreams. And He'll also speak through visions. And I used to be freaked out by that term. And a good friend who is spirit-filled and just so rock-solid helped me to understand better that God's spoken to me in visions many times, and I just didn't 
recognize it for what it is because I always imagine to have a vision, you have to be like, you know, almost hypnotized in a trance kind of state. And he said, no, when God speaks in a vision, many times he is just bringing a picture into your mind. As you're thinking about something, as you're praying about something, and you just begin to, to with sort of divinely led imagination, you begin to picture that person, that situation, and God begins to flesh out for you what could be, and if it is indeed kind of a prophetic vision, a prophetic picture, He's showing you what He desires to be or what is going to be, what is going to happen. And it's not some spooky thing. It's much more of just a simple thing that in that moment, if it's happened to you and you didn't discern it for what it was, it just felt like, oh, well, I was just sort of thinking about that and imagining that, and I, I sort of began to, to imagine into the future well, oftentimes God will do that in a way that he's giving you a picture of what he wants to do or what he's planning to do. And my friend just helped me see, he said, you know what, you won't freak yourself out nearly as bad if you'll stop calling it a vision and just start calling it a picture. And he, I just sort of had a picture in my mind of this thing. God loves to speak to us in those kinds of ways where you begin to see things through your mind's eye. A fourth thing that God will do is he speaks through circumstances. Now, this is the one that people tend to run to and feel comfortable with. And I, God will absolutely will speak through circumstances. And you know the way that we most commonly talk about this, don't you? It's in terms of open and closed doors, right? You know, I know God was saying I shouldn't do that because the door was just closed. And sometimes that'll be how God speaks. I, I gave you one of any number of examples that I could have given in Acts chapter 9, where Paul has just gotten saved he encounters the Lord on the road to Damascus and he gets to Damascus and he went there to persecute the church and to lock up Christians. And yet now God does this whole work in his heart and he gets converted and now he starts speaking out on behalf of Jesus and sharing about Jesus. And so now all the Jews who are going to be allied with him are mad at him and they want to lock him up and kill him. I mean, now they are watching for him. They have lookouts. They are positioned to ambush him. And so they literally have to lower him down through a window in the wall of the city in a basket and let him escape that way. How did Paul know to leave Damascus and to move on somewhere else? A bunch of people were going to kill him if he showed his face in Damascus. Is it safe to call that a closed door? Paul decided so. Paul decided God was speaking in this. Here's what God is saying. You come out your room, we're going to kill you. You know, that was God speaking. It's time to move on to another town. God spoke through circumstances a bunch of times in Jesus' life and ministry and in Paul's life and ministry. With Paul, many times, they would beat him. They would stone him. They would run him out of town. And he would say, I believe God is calling me to the next town. And he would move on down the road. God was speaking through circumstances. If you read carefully in the Gospels, similar things happened to Jesus numerous times. The people went to stone him to try and throw him off a cliff multiple times that they would try and kill him. And Jesus would slip off and he would move on. Circumstances indicated it was time to move on. Now, here's the tricky thing in this. It is so easy to rely on circumstances and not listen for the voice of the Lord. If you only rely on circumstances, many times you'll miss the will of God because sometimes the will of God is to persevere in difficult circumstances and still do what he called you to do. And pay the price for it. I mean, Jesus could have escaped Jerusalem. Jesus could have escaped the cross. The will of God was to go through that suffering and go to the cross. So God can and does speak through circumstances, but you always must take circumstances and carry them to the Lord and ask him for clarification. God, is this really what you're saying? Is this really what you want? It's great if you have someone in your life that you can bounce this off of, someone who's very spirit-filled and very discerning to say, Hey, this is what's going on, and it seems like the circumstances are leading me into this new adventure, are leading me to stop this thing that I thought God had called me to do. You, you take that to the Lord in prayer, and it's a great idea to take it to a very discerning friend and listen to what God may be saying through them, which brings us to the next piece, and that is that God speaks through the church and through other people. Now, the story in Acts 10, and I hope you'll be in your small group this week because you're going to go back and unpack the Acts 10 story in a lot more detail than what we're going to talk about here. But I'm not going to read it all to you. I'll just back up and remind you. Okay, here's what God is doing. He is about to save this uh, Gentile centurion and his family who's a member of the Italian regiment. 
God loves him, even though this guy is not a, a Christian, per se, because he's never heard about Jesus or the cross. But he knows who the real God is, and he's been faithful to pray and to give generously. He has a heart for the right things. He just doesn't know Jesus yet. He's never heard of Jesus. He's not in a town where he would bump into anybody who's ever heard of Jesus. There are no Christians in his town, but God cares about him. It's a great picture of God pursuing us. God's pursuing Cornelius. So God sends an angel to speak to Cornelius and to say, Hey, I have paid attention to your prayers and your sacrifices and your gifts to the poor. And so I want you to send three of your men to another town. Send them to the town of Joppa. And you have them find a guy by the name of Simon the Tanner who lives on the coast. And there will be a guy in his house who's a different Simon. His name is Simon Peter. And you tell them to bring Simon back so that you can hear what I want to say through him. Wow. That's really specific stuff. So these guys get sent out. They're marching over all the way to Joppa. They get to Joppa. And on the day they're showing up in Joppa, Peter's hungry and he's praying. Man, I would love something good to eat. A piece of bacon would be nice. But no, no, no. Bacon would be unclean. You know. He gets this vision of all these animals and things in a sheet. And God saying every time, Peter, you stop calling things unclean that I say are clean. Does that mean I can have bacon? You know, I mean, now Peter's thinking in terms of food. But now when that's finished, he's still sitting there and he's pondering that. I wonder what all God was talking about when he said, you stop calling unclean what I say is clean. While he's thinking about that, knock, 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 knock. There's a knock at the door. And boy, in his spirit, he knows I'm supposed to go down and hear what these guys have to say. He goes down. What do you want? They say, well, uh, our, our master who lives in another town, his name is Cornelius. And he said, we're to come and find someone named Simon Peter in the home of Simon the Tanner and bring him to Cornelius so that you can share a message with him. Guess what Peter had been thinking was unclean that was way more important than food? He had been thinking that all Gentiles were unclean and he would not dare go in the home of or eat a meal with a Gentile. And in the moment of time when he was about to need to share the gospel with a Gentile soldier, God spoke in Peter's life and said, you quit thinking things are unclean that I've made in my image that are clean. He sent Peter to share the gospel. Cornelius and his household are saved. The gospel goes now to the Gentiles. And it's God speaking in all these different ways. He speaks through an angel here. He speaks through a vision here. And now the Spirit of God, when somebody's knocking at the door, the Spirit of God spoke to Peter's heart, said, go down and listen to these men and do what they say. And now God speaks through Peter to Cornelius. Isn't it a beautiful picture how God tangles all this up to accomplish His will? We had a little small-scale version of something like this happen last week in this church. And I'll share the story and just leave out the names, but I just think this is kind of cool. When we were here in worship... God spoke to a lady in the church to give a man in the church a certain sum of money. It was out of the clear blue. It was just one of those things that the Spirit of God gave that nudge, gave that instruction. Go give this person this amount of money. So she did. And the guy basically said, no, 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 you can't give me that. You know, I, I can't take that. And she was like, no, you're supposed to. And he's like, well, I, no, I, I can't do that. And she said, look. I know God told me to give you this. Please don't rob me of the blessing of obeying God in this. And so he took the money and he's going, well, that's weird because, you know, there have been some real needs in the recent past, but I don't have a great need right now. Bills are paid and food to eat. I didn't come to church needing money. Why would God tell this sister in Christ to come give me money when I don't even know what my need was? And so this person's like, What's going on? Did she not hear God? Or, and, and as he you know, thought and prayed about, why did this person just give me this money that I don't even, didn't even know that I needed? And God spoke to his heart in that moment and said, do you remember this week when you encountered this particular person who had this need and you wanted to buy what they needed and fix what needed fixing and supply a very real need in their lives, but you didn't have the money to buy the parts that were needed to take care of this and supply this need for, for these folks, I just put it in your hands to go meet this need. And so he was able to just take that right on down the line. Now, how cool is that, that God would say, okay, you over here, go give this person over here this sum of money. He doesn't even know why he needs the money. And when he gets it in hand and gets out of here, I'll remind him of why he needed the money that he didn't know that he needed. That's how God works. God speaks within the body. God speaks in real personal ways like that. But God also speaks 
by offering us words of discernment and instruction. Hey, part of how God speaks to you is under the teaching of the Word. How many times have you left that you went, wow, you know, you, somehow you knew exactly what was going on in my life because you spoke to that. No, I didn't have any idea what was going on in your life. That was God speaking to a real personal issue in your life because God speaks through the church. I, I can't tell you how many times when, when I was called to launch Coats 14 years ago, and boy, that was such a, a scary undertaking because there wasn't any money, there wasn't a building, there, weren't, there wasn't money or people lined up to do this, and it was just the call of God. And all these different people that God brought into my life, most of whom had no idea that I was thinking about church planting, who came and just said very directly to me, but these were godly believers who came and said, you know what, I think that God has said that He is calling you to go and start a new church. Can I just tell you what a powerful confirmation that is when you're fixing to step into the big unknown and person after person comes up and just out of the clear blue says, hey, I think God said for me to come and affirm this in your life. Had people come up and say, we know that God's calling you to do this thing and we're not called to be a part of it. Thanks so much. But, but who would do that and then say, but you know what? We feel called to write you a check every month to help support that work. Wow. That's major confirmation when God is speaking to other people and then speaking into my life through that. God will speak to you through the church and through other people. Sixth way that God speaks. And that is He speaks through inner nudges and promptings. Uh, we, we left Philip out on the desert road a while ago, remember? An angel of the Lord said, Go to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, the desert road, and hang out in the desert. What am I going to do there? You'll see. So Philip goes to the desert road and he's hanging out there. Been here a while, God. Wouldn't you love to know how long Philip had to hang out on the desert road? Was he there for days or hours or what? He's hanging out. God, what am I doing here? We were doing good ministry back there. Why'd you lead me into the desert? And you can see dust in the distance. Somebody's coming up the road. Oh, it's a chariot. And as the chariot gets nearer and nearer, it's like, I wonder who that is. I wonder if that has anything to do with me. And he senses in, in his spirit, in the deepest part of who he is, he senses this inner nudge. And here's all he gets. Go to that chariot and stay near it. Is that it? Go to the road and hang out. I went to the road. Now a chariot comes along. What am I supposed to do when the chariot comes about? Just go stay near it. Am I supposed to get on it? Am I supposed to talk to somebody? Just go stay near it. Well, Lord, in case you hadn't noticed, there's not a rest area here. They're not stopping here. They're moseying on by. Yep, go stay near the chariot. Well, there's only one way to do that, God. I've got to go start running down the road next to the chariot. Okay, what am I doing now, God? I'm just running by the chariot. I'm looking pretty stupid, God. What, what's the point here? He's running, hanging out by the chariot. And he does the next most important thing you can do when you get a nudge from the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, will usually be a general idea. When you get a nudge from the Spirit... And you're just trotting along, trying to do that thing that you were nudged to do. Listen. Listen carefully to whatever happens next. You know what Philip heard? He heard the guy in the chariot reading aloud. He's reading from the Isaiah scroll. Now, the guy is an African who is a high-ranking member of uh, King, uh, Queen uh, Candace of Ethiopia in her... Uh, inner circle of leaders, and he hears this African reading from Isaiah about Jesus, about the Lamb of God who would be killed, whose life would be taken from him. Now he has the good sense to do what Jesus would frequently do. I'm convinced Jesus, as he walked in what the Father had from him every day, many times he just had those general nudges in a direction to interact with someone, to listen and ask questions. That's how Jesus did ministry all the time. And as you ask questions and listen, Suddenly, what the Spirit is leading you to becomes more clear. Okay, I go to the road. What am I supposed to do on the road? Oh, I'm supposed to be near this chariot. I'm near the chariot. Okay, what am I supposed to do now? Wait, this guy's reading Scripture. Ding, 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 ding. When somebody starts talking about God, a hurt in their life, a need in their life, about the Bible, you suddenly get your ears and antennas up and really listening because that is God inviting you to step into something. And so he says, I'm going to ask a question and test this. Excuse me. Do you understand what you're reading? And the guy's like, are you kidding? How could I? I mean, unless somebody could explain it to me. That is God speaking. 
That is this man practically saying, how about hopping up in my chariot and telling me what this means? Because Philip was willing to obey. He was willing to listen. He was willing to ask the appropriate question. And he's like, well, I'll be glad to explain that to you. And he gets up in the chariot and he gets to explain the A to Z about Jesus and what he's done. And when this African hears this whole thing, the treasurer of, of Ethiopia, he responds in faith to the message of Jesus. Stop the chariot. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Hey, there's water right over there. What would keep you from just baptizing me right here on the spot? I want to be baptized as a follower of Jesus. Philip got to walk right in the middle of the will and work of God because he was just willing to listen. And when an angel spoke and gave a little bit of instruction, he did what he heard. And when he got that far and it's like, I don't know what to do next, he got a little nudge from the Spirit of God. And when he did as much as that nudge seemed to lead him to do, he just listened and he watched. And when he got a little hint of something that God might be doing, he asked the right question. And in doing that, he was discerning the voice of God and the call of God. That's how it works, y'all. That's what it can look like. It's not, wow, I got this big vision and in all the detail, everything I'm supposed to do. That never happens in my life. But I can relate to Philip. A nudge, a word of instruction, a next nudge, an opportunity. And you just find yourself walking in the will of God as God progressively takes us into what he's doing. Just another little example of this. Paul, you know, we just... Uh, been talking about the call on his life to go out and do ministry. It says in Acts 16 that Paul and his companions travel through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, of Asia, when we came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. The, the picture is simply this. They keep trying to find new places to go. And as the passage that I just read immediately precedes the passage that I read a minute ago about this man from Macedonia appearing in a vision and saying, come over here, come to Greece, come to southern Europe, and we need you over here. In the verses immediately preceding that, Paul kept trying to go in other directions. Well, we, People need Jesus up here and people need Jesus down here. And every time they would try and turn to the right or to the left, it just says the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. It's like, I think we're supposed to go over here, but maybe not. Because that was the plan last night when we went to bed. But I got up this morning and something in my spirit just kind of says, uh-uh. And so I guess not. And the next thing they know, they get this call to Macedonia. So the nudges from the Holy Spirit oftentimes are more general in nature. If you'll follow through on as much as you know... Praying as you do that, asking questions and listen and watch for what happens next. God will speak and he'll open up the next piece for you. Now, those are six ways that God speaks in our lives. Do those, at least those six make sense? Any questions about those six? All right, now we're going to move into final territory, category seven. Category seven is its own special category because it's all the weird stuff. <laughs> It's all the stuff that just doesn't fit into any of the other six. We'll call this God speaking in surprising out-of-the-box ways. There are bunches of them. Uh, when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, that was weird stuff. It's weird stuff because it never happened again. There's no other, nobody else in Scripture that gets sp spoken to through a burning bush. When God speaks through Balaam's donkey, a talking donkey, would that qualify as weird stuff for you? That's extremely weird for me. There are just several different weird stuff kind of stories. In Acts, when God saves the Saul and turns him into the Apostle Paul, it's, it's one of those out-of-the-box, Category 7, God-speaking kind of things. Because the passage there says that as they're traveling down the road, they're going to Damascus because he's going to get all these Christians and lock them up and have people put to death if he can. And along the way, boom, God just speaks bright light from heaven, thundering voice from heaven and says, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why do you kick against the goads, Saul? It is me, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And all the other people, this was actually a voice because the, all the other men in the group, they heard the voice. And they're going, what in the world? This is weird. Yep, because this is category seven. When this brief encounter ends, Paul is blind. He has to be led by the hand into Damascus. Boy, that'll tame you some, won't it? And he gets to Damascus. And God speaks to a man in Damascus who's a believer who's heard that Paul is coming and is afraid like all the other Christians and says, you go find this guy named Saul. And Ananias is going, 
That's not a good idea. I know what he came here for. And he's going, no, I've got another plan for, for Saul. You go find him and you pray for him. And I'm going to heal him and give him his sight back through you. And you're going to pray for him and he's going to receive the Holy Spirit when you pray for him. And so once again, God's speaking through another believer. But that's category seven. I mean, how many of you have had God thunder from heaven where it freaked everybody out because they could all hear it in a bright light and you were blinded by me? Nobody else in the Bible has that happen. Sometimes God just speaks in unique ways. And he does this in our times. We all, along the way, somewhere in our lives, will have some kind of bizarre Category 7 happen to us. I was reminded of one of these this week. Harold Vondenstein, who's sitting over here uh, to my right, he texted me Tuesday morning and said, Hey, today's the two-year anniversary of that Sunday morning when God spoke to me and told me to get to that church. And I, I just kind of laughed when I read that and texted him back and said, Thanks for the reminder. Because if you don't know Harold's story, I'll give you the real short version. And, and I share this by permission, by Harold's permission, but two years ago, Harold was at a very dark place, very difficult place in his life, and um, he was not in church, just living in bondage to a lot of different things, a lot of demonic oppression in his life, and really just wanted to die. In fact, he prayed, just, God, please take my life, just end this. He had gotten a card, a mailer, because we had just launched the church two weeks earlier, and on Sunday morning, September the 2nd, he is laying in bed asleep with no intention of going to church, and God wakes him up and says to him literally, get your butt out of bed and go down to that church. Now, he didn't know me. He didn't know anybody at this church. And yet God woke him up and said, get your butt out of bed and go down to that church. It was so powerful that Harold got up and he came to church and it was really late and he missed the song service. But he came in and he got in on the sermon and it was like it was a it was a positive experience that first day, wasn't it? And, Took that in, but went home. And as often will happen, you know how the enemy, God will do something good, but then when you've had a little bit of time to think about it and the enemy tries to come and steal what God has sown in your life, that was stupid, that wasn't God. You know, that tried to take that away. And by the next weekend, Harold had made up his mind. He was not going to let that happen again. And so on Saturday night, he came up with his own plan for making sure that could not happen again. He decided he was staying up all night long. He was going to stay up and drink beer through that night so that when Sunday morning rolled around, he would crash hard and even God couldn't wake him up. And so that's what he did. Stayed up through the night and a couple of hours before time for church to start, he finally crashed, laid down, done. And in just a little while, God woke him up again. Get your butt out of bed and get down to that church, but don't be late this week. <laughs> Is that not what he told you? Harold got up came to church that morning, I want to tell you, I don't know of anyone that I have witnessed more life change in them than I have seen in Harold Vondenstein in the last two years. He came to celebrate recovery that week. We sat next to each other. That night, something broke off in Harold's life. Over the coming weeks, God set him free from addiction and from just all kinds of demonic oppression. And you want to be around somebody who walks in the joy and power of the Holy Spirit? Harold Vondenstein does. And it started with a word from God shaking him and waking him up and saying, Get your butt out of bed. Who's had that happen to him? It's just a Category 7. God works in different ways in different people's lives. And for Harold, it was a get-your-butt-out-of-bed moment. But you know what? God speaks in unique ways in your life. I'll share one more story and then I'm done. I've shared this with some of you before, but it's worth the retelling. Several years ago, not, not too many years ago, but I was... I was preaching at Coates, and it was the only time I can ever remember preaching a sermon where I actually homed in on Islam, and I, I spoke very specifically about Islam and what it teaches and the holes in what it teaches. And when the service was over, I really had slammed Islam, just, just really trying to blow holes in their faith. And when I was done, somebody pulled me aside and said, Hey, I've got a friend who's Muslim, uh, who's Turkish, who's working at the Grand Hotel, and we got him to come to church today for the first time, first time he's ever been in a Christian church. Can I introduce you to him? And I'm just like wanting to melt because I'm like, sure. I'm sure he's just tickled to meet me now. And I went over and I'm thinking, you must be hating me or you're going to like come strap a bomb into my car or something because I just talked bad about your faith. And, and I go and meet the guy. He's actually friendly. And we talked for a minute. And he said, I was very interested in the things that you had to say today. I would like to know more. And I said, hey, all right, you know, I do know enough to have antennas up. When somebody says something like that, guess what? God's speaking. When a Muslim hears Islam slammed on, and then they go, and Christianity talked about it, and they go, I would like to know more about that. That is God speaking. I know enough to know that. I said, hey, let's get together and talk. 
Let's pick a time. Would you be willing to come sit down and talk with me? I would, I would be interested to do that. So we get together and talk. And this guy, though he's Muslim, he's now intrigued that he's like, he's never heard Islam talked about that way or he's never heard really the truths of Christianity. So would you be willing to explore that? He's like, well, yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to explore that. Would you be willing to read something with me? Yes. I gave him a Bible, took him to the Gospel of John, and I said, could we read this together? Each of us take a chapter a day and read each day and then get together next week. And we'll talk about that. We'll just do that week to week. So, okay, we'll do that. His name was Mehmet. And so Mehmet said he, he would do that. So he read some that week and, and um, we got back together. He had been reading John and he's like, I, I'm very interested in this and, and interested in Jesus. But I'm Muslim and I've always been taught these truths. And so we began to talk about what he had been taught and what we believe as Christians is very interesting to dialogue about that. He was not combative, but he's like... I, now I feel very confused because as we had to go all the way back and talk about the promises of God through Abraham, through the son of promise, Isaac, and God's covenant relationship with his people, Israel. And, and Mehmet said, I understand all of those things, but you must understand, we believe in the promises of God through Abraham, but we believe that they were reckoned through his firstborn son, Ishmael, and that we are the recipients of those promises, we who are, who are the followers of the Quran and of Allah. And I understand what you're saying. You're saying that those promises were actually reckoned through, through Isaac. And so we just have two totally different beliefs about how God fulfilled those promises. How am I to know which one is the truth? Great question. I mean, as we talked more about that, I said, you know, the heart of this is there is one true God. And Mechamit said, I believe that. I fully believe that there is one God. My problem is I've always believed that that God was Allah. And you believe that that God is Yahweh and that his son is Jesus. And I don't believe that. But now you have me wondering, I could be wrong. You could be right. But how would I ever know the difference? And I said, would you just be willing to pray every day as we read the word? Would you pray, God, I want to know who you are. I want to know the one true God. He's like, but how would I know? I said, God will speak to you. God will speak to you personally. He'll show you. How will he speak to me? How will he show me? I said, I can't tell you that because I don't know, Mechmet. But would you be willing just to pray a simple prayer every day? God, I want to know you. I want to know the one true God. And I'm going to open and read in John every day. And I'll just pray. And then you just watch to see what God does. Would you do that? And he said, okay. When he came back to see me the next week, it was like he was wide-eyed. And he said, I've been reading, but something happened this week. So tell me what happened. And he pulls out his wallet and he reaches in his wallet and he pulls out a strip of paper like the top of a, of a piece of copier paper that had been ripped off. And it has handwriting on it. And, and he said, do you know what this is? And he held it up to me and it said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I said, yes, I, I know that passage. He says, you know what this is? Said, yeah, it's a passage from Jeremiah. He said, well, I need you to explain something to me. He said, I, I live with roommates. They're all internationals. None are Christian. They are far from God. They want nothing to do with Christianity. And in our apartment, I walk in this week, and this piece of paper is lying on the counter, and it says these words on it. None of my roommates put it there. This is very strange to me. And I pick up the paper, and I read it, and I don't understand. And so I fold it up, and I put it in the trash, and I go on. And he said, a day or two later, I come back and in a different place in my apartment, the piece of paper I put in the trash is sitting back out and none of my roommates put it there. What does this mean? Could this be God speaking? I said, Mehmet, that is exactly what happened. I told you God would speak to you. God is speaking to you. This is God's word to you. Oh, the wheels were turning. He was thinking, thinking, thinking. Will you be willing to keep reading with me? Yes, yes, yes. The next time that Mehmet came to see me in another week or so, he came in and a different young man walked in the door. I didn't get to pray with this guy to receive Christ. When he walked in, he was not a Muslim anymore. He was a Christian. He walked in my office and he said, I must tell you what happened. He said, this week I went to meet some friends in town, kind of not good people, and I was just going to go hang out with them. And he said, I, as I was turning in to go be with him, he said, something inside of me said, no, go down to the bay and read John. And he said, I drove down to the bay. And he said, I started where we were reading in John. And he said, I just had to stop. And he said, I can't explain. All I knew was in that moment, I knew who God was. 
I knew Jesus was God. And I knew I needed to give my life to Jesus. And that day, I prayed. I prayed not to Allah. I prayed to the one true God. And I asked Jesus to come into my life. Mehmet became a believer because the one true God answered a simple prayer. God, would you speak to me? And God spoke in his life, and he became a follower of Christ. Now, almost immediately after that, his visa had run out, and he had to take off to Canada before we could even baptize him. He went to Canada. He found a Baptist church. He got baptized. He was so worried when he left about what it was going to mean for his family who lived in such a traditional Muslim community, and he was afraid what's going to happen when word gets back. Man, over the next two or three years, I would get all these emails from him where he was professing his faith, and the carbon copy list was awesome. It was like every Muslim name that you can imagine and can't pronounce was on there. He was boldly declaring his faith. Why? Because the God of heaven who pursues every one of us pursued Mehmet and in a very personal way pulled a category seven and spoke in his life and revealed that he loved him and was pursuing him. Jeremiah goes on to say this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God is seeking you and he wants you to know him and to know his voice. But you've got to be willing to turn and seek him and to listen. Would you join me as we bow together and turn to him in prayer? Lord, thank you that you love us and that you pursue us. Help us to know, to recognize, follow, and obey your voice. In order to know the voice of the Lord and to hear it again and again, you have to belong to him. And so... I'm going to invite you today, if you have never before trusted Christ, this same God is pursuing you, whether you're listening online or you're in the room, would you say yes, just a yes to his invitation to know him, to enter into relationship? Would you say, come into my life, Jesus, I need you, I want to know you, speak in my life and change me, I give you all that I am. Maybe you've known Christ, but it's just not a real dynamic relationship for you. Would you just ask Him, Lord, I want to know Your voice. Speak in my life. Help me to know Your voice and to respond to You. I open myself up to You, and I pray this, Jesus, in Your name. Father, would You move in our lives in fresh ways? Would You speak fresh truth? Thank You for how You pursue us and love us. We offer ourselves to You in a fresh way, in Jesus' name. Amen.